What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Make It Happen podcast with myself, Nolan Ulm. Today, we got the man, the myth, the legend, Jake Rogers on the podcast talking about his journey all the way from Shadle Park to Washington State University to Eastern Washington University to the NFL on a slew of different teams running into incredible players. So many gems in this one. I'm excited for you guys to listen. Let me know what you think. And the only thing that I ask is that you share this and rate or review it, please. That would mean the world to me. I hope you have an incredible day. With that being said, here's Jake Rogers. I kind of just want to start off by going a little bit through your football journey and then we'll kind of just kind of duck and weave as we go. But I I really loved when you came into the camp. Your story was incredible and I think... There's so many things that turn off of that, right? So, yeah. And I don't really know the the real roots of your story. So, talk me through, you know, your your you finding the game and really where you found your love for the game. Maybe it was later, but yeah. in the beginning, right? Take me all the way back, even before Shadle Park. Man, that's a long yeah, that's a long story. I mean, I to be honest with you, I was always a football fan as far as I can remember you know what I mean I grew up loving WSU football I was a huge Cougar fan I remember going to games as a kid um, you know watching the games on TV they were pretty good um, from about probably 96 on which I was born in 91 so that's kind of right as I'm being able to appreciate football Um, and they had some really fun teams they were really um not a lot of stars or anything like that, but they were just, you know, tough, good football teams. And I, I just, they were a lot of fun to watch. Uh, so that's probably, I guess, where it kind of started for me. And then I started, you know, started playing football in fifth grade, YMCA Greed Kids. Um, had some really cool, you know, youth coaches, you know, that made it fun. They did a good job. You know, they weren't like, they're youth football coaches, and not experts, but they weren't. <laughs> crazy like you see you know on youtube videos or whatever like yeah, yeah they're they're good dudes um they made it fun i played with them you know fifth grade through eighth grade and um you know we had good youth football teams too weirdly we had like a bunch of massive kids on our team um and it was you know getting to know those guys like growing up you know having friends through football that's probably what it, Keeps you in it more than anything. Right. It's just, just, um, you know, you you get friends and you want to keep hanging out with them and stuff like that. Yeah. Going to practice every day is fun. And I just always like hitting people too. I was never really that athletic or, you know, I was honestly pretty bad at football. Thank God I was just bigger than everybody. So you were always the biggest growing up. I was all, it was me and one other kid that my size who also went to Wazoo with me from here. His name was Aaron Dunn. But yeah, we were. The two, the two kids that they were checking their birth certificates before the games or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I was, I was uh, a center and a DN. They wouldn't let me touch the football because I was way over the weight limit and all that good stuff. Um, but, yeah, so started at YMCA and then got to Shadles and was on the freshman football team. I was like 6'5 as a freshman. Um, and they let me play middle linebacker, which was awesome. Wow. And um, fullback. And it was just, I was just so much bigger than everybody. It was not fair. I could just see directly over the line and just see everything that was going on in the backfield and just go run and tackle people. It was wow. awesome. Um, and then, you know, just it kept growing. and kept, Football was the sport I was easily the best at. I was a big baseball player growing up, too. But um, as I got further into high school, 
I also started playing basketball, and then I was terrible at baseball all of a sudden. So I stopped playing baseball because it's if you're not good at baseball, it's not very fun. Right. <laughs> you're just going up and striking out every time. It's not. It's not a blast. Yeah. Um, but was playing football, basketball, baseball. I didn't start playing basketball until the eighth grade, so I wasn't very good ever. Um, I was just bigger, longer, athletic-ish kid. You know, I could yeah. rebound and, and block shots and set screens. It's pretty much what I did. Um, but yeah, then then playing football through high school, I was uh, JV my sophomore year, I think, tight end, D end, um, kind of stuck behind another kid my age, the same guy I went to Wazoo with actually. Um, but I just loved playing and, and I was pretty good. And then eventually, uh, my junior year started playing varsity and was never left the field, you know, uh, DN, tight end, kicker, punter, did, everything. Yeah. Just played every snap and we weren't very good. Uh, my high school program was actually terrible when I was there. I think I always tell people, um, I think we won in the three years, you know, I played varsity or whatever. We won like seven total games, I think. Which is terrible. Wow! Like we won one game my senior year. Uh, it was bad, but you know, I still loved football the whole time. It was I was always also good at it. Um, and then, you know, I, I always wanted to go to Wazoo to play football. That was kind of the dream from when I was a kid. So, yeah. Uh, when did you? When did they start recruiting you? And when did you start getting interest? Was it that junior year that you kind of? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was my junior year. Um, I remember. I remember they started recruiting me. They would have me down for. They would invite me to like their their games and stuff. Give me free tickets. I'd always go every every home game. I'd just take my friends. We'd drive down and go. And then um, they started recruiting me. I had torn my meniscus in my knee that that year and had surgery on it in the spring. And like before, I just remember before I had surgery on it, I had an offer, and I was like, I. I don't even know what I'm thinking about anymore. Like this is the like, the place I've dreamed about going pretty much my entire life. I'm just gonna commit now before I have this knee surgery and whatever. You yeah. Know. yeah, it was a minor deal, but in my head I built it up like it was some big you know career, possibly career-ending surgery, whatever. Um, but it basically just was like, what am I even wondering about right now? This is all. I, this is the only place I ever wanted to go. It's an hour and a half from home. Uh, you know, this was the dream. So kind of just pulled the trigger on that pretty early on and then you know got down to wazoo um i, I always tell people i, I think I, sh I showed up to training camp they told me i was a, gonna be a tight end when they recruited me right showed up to training camp at like 245 or not training camp but summer anyway summer yeah. conditioning and ran, ran like one day of routes and then they the next day in weights they were like told me i was basically moving to the line right so that was yeah. an adjustment <laughs> Um, yeah. So what's who? Someone just comes to you and says, "Yeah." That. So what? If literally what happened was, I we had like a you know player led practice. I, I ran around with the tight ends a little bit, and the next day in weights with our freshman group, they're like, strength coach comes out. He's like, "All right, these guys are getting fitted for knee braces on Monday." And it was Fullington, who was the only other lineman in my class, Rogers, and that, that was the entire list. <laughs> Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh that's gonna be really hard to run routes and knee yeah, braces right. um so from there the message was pretty much delivered and i pretty much just started eating everything in sight and trying to put on as much weight as right. i could uh redshirted that first year obviously and yeah what was that like was that tough for you first was, year not planned it was a 
very I, the whole thing the whole first year from when i first got there was a massively eye-opening experience for me why is that um, well like i mean like i said like our, our high school program was not very good yeah not like particularly well run you know what i mean like weights program wasn't great conditioning program wasn't great all that kind of stuff and i didn't my family couldn't really afford to like send me to like a trainer or anything like that that stuff wasn't ex- accessible back then either there was no like i mean there might have been youtube i don't know but i wasn't on it like there wasn't that content out there that you can just go find now you know on on how to learn anything really um so i just felt like when i got there it was just like getting dropped into the deep end with ankle weights on basically like it was like everybody was so far ahead of me it felt like like even summer conditioning i was like i was the guy that was behind everybody like we ran stadium stairs every friday and i puked my guts out every single friday you know for for the entire summer um and you know there were some freaky athletes in my class and stuff and i was just looking around like man this is this is like this is kind of real i don't know i'm not sure if i belong here kind of thing i had that for sure had that moment of of kind of you know self-doubt a little bit um but i was also just I don't know, maybe a little hard-headed and naive. I just kept going with it, kept kept at it, you know what I mean? Kind of a meathead that way. Um, and eventually, you know, I, I got my ass kicked a lot the first year, especially that training camp and that first redshirt year on scout team, man, was brutal. I was, you know, 250 pounds trying to play tackle against DNs that are 265 and much better athletes than me. <laughs> There's a guy, uh, Travis Long, who's also a who's Spokane guy. And he was like a all he was a couple years older than me, all conference kind of DN player, and he just wore me out for a year straight, basically. And that was very you know, huge learning experience, but very difficult day to day to like get up and, and face that challenge every day, you know yeah. what I mean? Um but all in all, you know, helped make me into the player I ended up being. Right, what you know a what gift, I mean? yeah. And you know, that between the football stuff plus school and then you know you got your as a retro you got the extra workouts and all this stuff like yeah. that. it was a beast you know um but by the end of, end of that year i was you know kind of getting okay at o-line like i had some natural ability and stuff um you know foot speed all that kind of stuff and started putting weight on getting stronger obviously as well and by the end of i think winter conditioning after my freshman year I, I, before spring ball started i think i was like 290 after being like 245 wow. I showed up. Um, and, then, and then uh and then they started they were like all right yeah you put the weight on now you're getting kind of a little fat so now we got you need you to kind of tone it up a little bit <laughs> so um basically the the next year i pretty much stayed the same size but got in much better shape a lot stronger started yeah. you know kind of turning into like a what a real college alignment looks like yeah um and by the end of my sophomore year i uh was you know i was traveling the whole year ended up starting a game against utah late in the year just we had an injury and they had like the, the best d-line in the, the conference at the time like they had like uh starlo tulele who was like a top 15 pick in uh, I think one of the like the Kruger brothers, maybe or something like that. I don't know. They had some dudes though. They, had, they led the conference in sacks and all this stuff. 
and uh, it's my first start ever. I was nervous as hell. And I think some other people were probably nervous for me, maybe my own line coach. Uh, but ended up playing actually really well. And after that game, I could kind of tell everybody else around me, like even the coaches were like, wow, like kind of impressed a little bit. Right. And just the shift in like that gave me a lot of confidence as well. Um, just being able to go out there on a game day and, and perform a little bit. Yeah. Uh, being young, undersized, all that stuff, kind of being like, hey, man, I, can, I think I can do this kind of thing. Um, so that, that game kind of was a turning point for me. And then going into the next season, I think the coaching staff was kind of counting on me going forward as well. Um, so just tried to keep building on that. Unfortunately, that coaching staff got fired after that year. And yeah, what was your guys' record? Um, we were four and four and eight or whatever. Okay, so yeah, not yeah, great. So actually, so that Utah, that same Utah game was second to last game of the year, and we needed to win it to like stay bowl eligible. And it was a crazy game. It started dumping snow at halftime. You couldn't even see the lines on the field, stuff like that. And we ended up going on like a clutch drive with like less than two minutes to go complete a ball down the sideline and this receiver's running towards the end zone and like gets tackled but reaches for the goal line but they can't see the goal line because it's covered in snow and he for sure scored but they they called him down or something and the clock was running and it was like you know 20 seconds left in the game and it's like the one inch line and we're down three so we run up spike it because we didn't have any timeouts so we can't they can't like review it or anything and we kick the field goal go to overtime and end up losing in overtime so wow like heartbreaker heartbreaker and then uh, I think we lost the Apple Cup the next week also, so it didn't really matter. But um, that, yeah, that year was interesting. There's a whole, I don't know, butterfly effect theory on that one that I could go down, but we don't got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so they fired um, Coach Wolf and his staff after, yeah. uh, after that season. They bring in Mike Leach. Uh, you know, RIP, but um, yeah, I was not a Mike Leach guy. So tell me about what was that transition like? It was um, it was weird. We didn't. Ha it was weird because we didn't have a coach for a while, so we were just doing conditioning and stuff with no head coach, um, stuff like that. And then they bring in Mike Leach, and everybody's really excited. I was too. That's when he came. It was from Texas Tech, right? Uh, he had been out of coaching for like a long time okay. before that. But yeah, that was it. Was like his first job since, since that. Then. Yeah. Okay. And he came in, and it, it's a typical um, thing you see with college, like when whenever there's a coaching change, especially in college, is new coaches come in and they kind of need to figure out, you know, how to turn over the roster a little bit. So it usually involves a lot of disciplinary action and kicking guys off the team or making things really hard so guys start falling out. Um, so they can kind of bring in their own recruits and start from square one kind of thing, right? And there was a lot of that going on, basically. It was it was hard, man. It was... Give me give me a couple of stories that come to mind. Uh, yeah, I've got a few. <laughs> so this, and this was kind of the first moment where I was like, I don't know if this place is for me anymore. Um, we actually played Eastern at home uh, probably the second or third game of the season, maybe. Wow. And Oh, that's right. Is that when Koff scores the first play on like that 98-yard touchdown or it, something like that? He could be. I can't remember exactly, but <laughs> it was a it was a good game. Like we we won by four, I think. 
Um, we ended up having like a couple of touchdowns uh, late that got called off for holds, like big play touchdowns. Yeah. And so we, we hold on to win, but it's like kind of an ugly game, you know, not not the win you're looking for against Eastern Washington, no disrespect. Yeah, to, you know, absolutely. But um, that was kind of how it was interpreted. And then the following Sunday, we usually had like, you know, meeting or weights, meetings, and like a short practice, right? Like helmets, helmets only practice. At the team meeting, Leach cancels practice for everybody except for the starting five offensive linemen. And then we had this, <laughs> so he sends us out on the field. We had this 40 by 10 yard sand pit, right? And they basically just put us through any number of just awful, I don't know, I guess you could call them drills, but think like the stuff you'd see like the Navy SEALs doing in like buds, right? Where they're like, all right, you're just going to army crawl until we say stop, basically, or you know, hold hold this forty five pound plate out in front of you, and if you're the first one to drop it, you don't want to be the first one to drop it. Basically, <laughs> like they're but like there's strength coaches out there, like spraying with a hose and kicking sand in my face and shit, and it was just it was not cool. Wow, it was it was crazy. Um, so spraying you with a hose, so it really it was, was like, like seal training. Was like the crazy thing was like I didn't hold anybody, you know what I mean? And it's like it's a hold. This and that's happened. that's what he was mad about. <laughs> that's I mean that I, I can't think of any other explanation as to why we were out there realistically. Um, so that was kind of the start of it, and then the season did not go well from there. Uh, we lost a lot of games. We lost to Colorado at home. We shouldn't have, and just we were not very good. Basically, um, we ended up going to Utah later in the season towards the end. And that we got killed in that game. It was like it was a shutout till probably the last five minutes or so. We hit a screen that we took to the house, but um, we were just getting wrecked. And I remember we came in from halftime, and the coach is like coming hot. Like our one of our linebackers coaches comes in and is like screaming at people. And one of the uh, we have this big poly D tackle. Like kind of stood up and was saying something back to me, like pushing him in the chest, right? And you know, like that. So he basically, there, there's basically a fight breaks out in our locker room between the players and the coaches. So I'm like, what the f- is going on? Like, we got another whole half of football we got to go play still. Uh, and it, it, we kept playing in the game. It was not going well. Uh, we ended up, uh, let's see, into the fourth quarter, we're still getting our ass kicked. And, I remember Mike Leach brings everybody up on the sideline, like the whole team. And he's like up there talking. I can barely hear him because I'm all the way in the back, but he's just giving us some speech or something. And I just remember uh, he, he finishes and some guy from the stands has just an all-time chirp. He's just like, just yells at the top of his lungs, I hope that was a $2 million speech, you dick. Something, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, basically we... Proceed to get our ass kicked the rest of the game. And after the game, Mike Leach is up there, like, answering questions from the media. And he's just bashing us, basically. Like, like not everybody, but specifically offensive defensive line. He's like, uh, I can't remember exactly. He said something to the effect of, yeah, I think if uh, I think if three of their guys and five of our guys met in a dark alley, I think the three of their guys would probably kick our ass, basically, or something like that. And then he, they kept, like, pressing him. 
about like why we played so bad. And he was like, I don't, I don't know. Well, ask them basically. And, and then came in the locker room and made like the starting D line and O line go up and, and do like a press conference basically. Right. And just answer all these questions. And that didn't go well either. Uh, that was, I, I didn't enjoy that at all. <laughs> Were you playing that bad or like, uh, I like- mean, we looked terrible in that game. Like it was like a, 42 to 6 game or something like that, you know. Um, But I've just never seen anything like that in my life where, you know, coach just goes up there and just throws his players under the bus. Yeah, so what was everyone else's response to it? It was the same guy, Travis Long, I was telling you about. Yeah. The D-line went up first, so we were kind of in the back watching. At one point, he just got up after, like, the press conference was ending and just threw his chair into the wall as he's walking out. Right. Like it was crazy. This was crazy stuff. It's like movie stuff yeah, you're going it was through. Nuts. Um, and basically, you know, I went up there and was just like, yeah, I, just trying to say as little as possible because I just didn't want to be there. But then we come home from that game and um, we do that. Instead of that same Sunday practice, we basically do like a think like a winter ball workout. But we do it for the like and you know two hours out of practice, like just the entire team rotating through conditioning stations for the entirety of practice. Uh, our best receiver ended up quitting like mid practice, basically. It's like screw you guys, I'm out of here. Uh, ended up leaving early for the draft, and then he, he, once again, Leach just had to like try to throw him under the bus there too. Like after he left, you know, bashed him, all this stuff. So it was there was a lot of um, disconnect between players and coaches, to say the least, and it just football wasn't really fun anymore. And I also was playing the entire season with a torn labrum in my shoulder, so I was miserable because my shoulder would literally like come out of its socket probably five times a week. Right. At least. Like it was, I was in a lot of pain. It That's was we losing. It was not fun. It was just kind of miserable. So I ended up having shoulder surgery after the season. And then went through my whole rehab process. And then by the time I was starting to get healthy again, it was right at the end of the school year. And I kind of had to make a decision because I was kind of like waffling, wavering back and forth on whether I actually wanted to leave or not. Uh, and then I, I basically just pulled the trigger on it and ended up at Eastern essentially. Yeah. What, so what, like, give us a... Uh a look at what it was like to leave a school back yeah, then, right? Because yeah, it wasn't it was, as easy as it was now. It was way different. Yeah. So this is crazy. Um, yeah. Side sidebar. Um, if things would have been the way they are now, when I left Wazoo, I probably would have made seven figures, right? Like in, in an aisle or some something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, back then, the rule was. You can't transfer D1 to D1 without sitting out a year. I had two years left, so that didn't make a lot of sense to me. So the rule was if you drop down a level, you could transfer without having to sit out as long as that school was not on the school you were leaving's schedule for the remainder of your eligibility, right? Which Weird. Eastern wasn't, so it was an option. Um, I took, actually, visits to... Yeah, I'm sure everyone wanted you, right? I, I, there was no... There was no portal either, so like nobody even knew I was transferring. Really, I didn't really even reach out to anybody either because I, I don't know. I just didn't. I was a dumb kid. I don't know what I was doing. Um, but I took I knew coaches from um, Paul Wolf's staff that were at uh, Weber State and Idaho State, 
So I took visits to both of them. They were both offering me full scholarships, but both had terrible programs. They had won, I think, a combined like three games the year before. Um, and so I, I kind of basically the deal was I could go to Idaho State or Weber State on a full scholarship. Eastern was like, hey, we don't have a scholarship for you, essentially. Like, you can walk on, but that's, that's the best we can do for you. I and, didn't even know this. Yeah, what? so I, I basically just kind of had to make the decision like, all right, go on scholarship or, you know, go to Eastern where I know guys on the team already. It's, you know, I'm from Spokane. It's 30 minutes from home. Um, and they've got a good program. And I, frankly, at this that point in my career, I just wanted to win some football games and be on like a, a good football team for the first time since YMCA. Uh, <laughs> And that was ultimately what ended up kind of making my decision for me was I just wanted to be, you know, on a good team, basically. Right. So chose kind of winning over the scholarship, essentially. Um, also, just kind of bet on myself that, hey, you can probably go get a scholarship next year or something. It's going to be Eastern's not a very expensive school either. Uh, so tuition was, you know, it still had to take out a loan to pay for it, but yeah, know, nothing like most schools, basically. But that was kind of how I ended up at Eastern, essentially. Um, and even from there, it was like I still had to come in, and I was in, I was a, a two coming in, and had to go into training camp and kind of win the job, which I ended up doing. I ended up, you know, starting the first couple games that season until I got hurt. But my first game ever was the uh, the win on the road against Oregon State, which was still to this day one of the best football games I've ever been a part of, which was awesome. But um, that's how I got the Eastern, and then from Eastern, Eastern was it was such a crazy difference. I don't know, just just in the transition for me, just between the, I guess I guess you can just throw it under the umbrella of culture, right? But um, the differences between the coaching staffs and the environment that with the locker room and, and yeah, all this what, stuff. what were the main differences? Uh, just I mean. The coaches, it felt like they had a lot more personal investment into like players' well-being. I guess at Washington State, I didn't really feel like the coaches really cared about us that much, as shitty as that sounds. Um, but when I got to Eastern, it, you could you could feel it. I guess like I could tell the difference um, just in the way people interact with you, right, and, and the respect they showed you, and, and the way they talk to you and treat you, and stuff like that. Um, and then there was also when I was at Wazoo, I, I, I heard, I've explained it to people this way before when I was at Wazoo, we'd, we'd go into games and be like, well, you know, we play really well. We got a chance basically when I was at Eastern, it was like, all right, if we show up, we're going to kick the shit out of them. Basically like <laughs> there was like a, a very serious difference in like just from a, a total team aspect, the, the confidence in in the team basically in the, in what we had as a, as a program or whatever so those would be the main things i guess that stuck out to me i mean obviously you know different levels but in washington state it's got the you know the crazy facilities they weren't that crazy back then but now they are but um you know eastern is just kind of this i mean you know it's it's we do we do a lot with very little here but it, it, the program then was there was a lot of dudes and the 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 um, I'm struggling here. The um, 
I guess let's just call it the culture. The culture was so strong and like palpable that you know I didn't really have to do a lot. I just had to show up and and, and be me, basically. You know what I mean? So yeah. Wow. Wow, that's really cool. I didn't know that you came in as a two either. It's just just crazy to think about that now, right? Because if it was the portal nowadays, like right. oh, we're bringing in the starter from Wazoo, he's yeah. gonna start day one, like. And, and to a certain <clears throat> respect, I, I respected that. Uh, you know that they weren't just gonna hand me the job day one. I didn't really f- fight anyone on that. Um, in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna go win it anyway. But it, as a you know, if you think about it from a coaching the coach's perspective, like you got to respect the having the uh, I don't know brevity or whatever you want to call it to just say to somebody, hey, you know. I can't just hand you this job. You can come here if you want, but I don't, you know, if you do, you, you know, you're just gonna be another guy basically. Right. Which, uh, you know, to me spoke volumes a little bit. Uh, because if you're just promising somebody off the street, you know, day one, like, what does that really say about what do you think about the guys you already have? Yeah. So like after that, I think after the second one, I ran up to him in the end zone and was like, just going at him about the, you know, the white receiver just fucking beating his ass. Sorry. Probably shouldn't, be swearing like that on here, but uh, you don't know, worry about just it. Giving him a giving him an earful, and um, I was like, it's like, hey, sorry right, though, you don't know who that is. That's touchdown Jesus. <laughs> and um, so we ended up like we ended up losing the game because they, I think we they scored sixty something, but we put up fifty five on a team with three first rounders on their defense. So that that was also pretty cool. But the reason I tell that story is that was kind of the point where. People like NFL agents and people, scouts, whatever, I think started actually, that one put me on the map, basically. Um, that one probably got me drafted that game because I played tackle, I played guard, and, and played really well against some, you know, Pac 12 D linemen that were supposed to be really good and, you know, kick their ass, basically. Right. <laughs> um, but so that, that got me noticed and then had a good season as well you know the rest of the year ended up being first team all conference all american we made a run to the quarters um and then you know as you know my dad passed away right pretty much same time um which was you know crazy i don't want to you know, need to get too much yeah that, but um that definitely was tough obviously it was you know Going from right there at the end of the college season, my dad passed away, and then you know a few weeks later, go to Florida for eight weeks to go train for the pro day and stuff like that. And, and going through that whole process, the the pre draft and all this stuff that's completely foreign to me and I never really entertained as like a serious option was was interesting. But um, ended up you know getting drafted by the Falcons in the seventh round. Yeah. So what? What? Talk me through that day and getting the phone call. Did you yeah. watch the TV like and get saw your name get called? Yeah, that one was yeah. So that one was weird because uh, I didn't really talk to the Falcons really at all through that whole pre-draft process. You know, didn't really hear much from them. But their own line coach called me the morning of like that third day of the draft and just to like you know I don't know get a feel for me I guess you know talk to me a little bit. Um, and. I remember watching the draft, and as much as I was telling myself, you know, don't get your hopes up, there's, you know, nothing. I didn't want to get my hopes up just to, like, not get drafted, basically, and be that guy that's sad after he didn't get drafted. Uh, but, man, 
as seventh round starts rolling around and I was, all the teams I'd been thought were maybe going to draft me were out of picks. And I was like, you know, really feeling sorry for myself. I was sitting out on my back deck, just really upset, even though I tried my hardest not to be. And that was when I got the phone call. Um, Stopped talked to a Thomas Dimitrov, and basically, he's, you know, you know, we're going to draft you here with our next pick. Uh, you know, congratulations. Have you ever been to Atlanta before? That kind of stuff. And you know, got off the phone basically just in time to walk inside, see. See him call my name on the TV, and you know every like family and friends that were there losing their mind and stuff like that. So yeah, what was that feeling like? Uh man, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it right now. It was really incredible, actually. Um, tough to put into words, but and I probably don't even appreciate it now. But man, it was you know a lot of emotions, but um, man. I don't even know how to put it, how to put it to you, but it's like, I mean, it's like your lifelong dream is just coming true. I can right in front of you. Um, it was very as overword or overused word, but surreal. Um, it was it was incredible, uh, and it was just kind of a whirlwind from there. You know, you get drafted, and you know, the next week I flew to Atlanta for like rookie minicamp and all this stuff, and I'm doing you know getting calls for interviews and stuff like that from local media and that whole thing. And, and then you go to rookie minicamp, but then, so what I didn't realize was this, um, there's a graduation rule in the NFL. I don't know if it still is, but if you don't have your degree, you cannot participate in your team's off season program until after your school's graduation, which at Eastern is like mid June. So that means I went to rookie minicamp and then basically was at home by myself trying to, you know, prepare myself for NFL training camp and learn an NFL offense basically just off an iPad, right? They didn't, we didn't have Zoom back then or whatever, or we didn't use it anyway. And so I missed all the meetings and the extra practices and, and workouts with the team and stuff like that and just kind of was on my own. And quite frankly, I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. Um, you know, I had a trainer, but it's just you're kind of limited in what you can do a little bit. So to be honest with you, by the time I got back um, to mandatory minicamp after in like late June or whatever, I was, again, I was so far behind everybody again. And so didn't play well at mandatory minicamp, didn't really play very well at the start of training camp. And then by the time I felt like I was getting a feel for the offense, getting my legs under me and stuff like that, uh, you know, preseason games started rolling around, and I'm not shitting you. I the first play I was in in the first preseason game, we were running like an outside zone play, and the running back got tackled directly into my ankle, and I sprained my ankle. And they kind of told me it was like a not a big deal, uh, like a minor sprain, whatever. And they all then one of my coaches was also kind of like, "Hey, you know, your seventh round pick. If you don't play in these preseason games, you're not going to make the team, basically." So. I tried my best to like play through it, and you know, you've got a sprained ankle playing against NFL talent. I didn't just didn't play very well, um, so I ended up getting cut at the end of that. Uh, and then I found out later. I think I broke that ankle. They didn't tell me, which is crazy. But um, I didn't find out to the following year. Wow. Because uh, basically, I was I was trying to get back, trying to get signed by teams. Couldn't get signed. Um, ended up 
sign on the Giants practice squad late in that season, sign with them for the next year, and then the following preseason, last drive of the last preseason game, same exact injury basically, same like same play, same exact thing happened basically. It was crazy. Um, just running outside zone, running back, he's tackled right in my ankle, Jeez. sprained it again, just sprained it. But this time I was, um, so the first time I was just, a, uh, again, a dumb kid, didn't know what he was doing. And basically after I found out I was cut, I was just very distraught, I guess as well. Um, disappointed. And I've, in my mind, I had been playing on this injury already, so I wasn't, like, really hurt anymore. So I just kind of, like, signed the, you know, waiver clearing them of whatever injury designations um, before they cut me. But then this following time, after the Giants learned my lesson, basically ended up getting, like, an injury settlement out of it at least this time. So, you know, at least I didn't get, you know, cut while I was hurt and not get paid. Um, but went through the rehab process again. Uh, ended up getting signed by the Panthers late that year for a couple weeks on their practice squad. Got re-signed by them for the following year, um, like a futures deal is what they call it, futures contract. And then was getting ready to go, you know, went went down to Carolina for OTAs, all this stuff. Then the draft happened. They drafted a tackle in the second round, and, you know, three days later I got cut, basically. Um, so that was – I got cut, and then I got – Claimed off of waivers, I believe, by the Steelers. Um, and that was my first stint in Pittsburgh was 2017. I went through training camp with them. Um, got cut out of training camp. But then uh, one of their tackles got hurt, I think, week, you know, first couple weeks of the season. Pulled a hammy or whatever. So they brought me back out for the practice squad for like two weeks. Cut me after he got healthy. Um I went home and worked out for, I think, the the Dolphins and the Patriots, but didn't get signed. Um, yeah, so same. what are what are those like? Like, What are workouts like when they bring you out? Yeah, it's they're always pretty – they're kind of weird. Because <laughs> basically, you, you know, you fly in. It's usually on the team's off day, so like a Tuesday. And um, they kind of want to keep you away from all the players. They don't really want them to know that they're bringing in guys for workouts to try to replace somebody is kind of how the players see it, right? Um, so it's always kind of like you're kind of isolated, and it's just a, you and a couple of random dudes they brought in, basically. They might be the same position. They might not. Um, and they just kind of do like an on-field. They just want to see you move and run and see if you're in shape, basically. Uh, and they, you know, make their assessments based off of that. The Patriots one was weird. They had us doing a bunch of weird um, drills and stuff. Typical Patriots, the way you'd think about it. But, like, you know, doing, like, flexibility tests and pulling around, you know, cones and stuff like that. And, and just a bunch of – I just remember, like, literally they just had us run straight down, like, a, a line on the field. They were like, just just run down that line. I just want to watch you run. I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> but it, it was – crazy because it was like it was i had like i remember i had an apartment with one of my friends at the time and i was just never there it was like i was just constantly going back and forth to the airport to fly out to some place to either work out or go be on their practice squad for a couple weeks or something like that so like i it's so i played that year i played for the steelers i played for the chargers and i played for the ravens no that was the next year but 
Jeez, uh, the so Texans, the Texans so left. many lose track. But huh? it was yeah, it was and it was like three different stints with the Steelers too. It was like a week, uh, you know, a couple weeks, and then like four weeks right at the end of the season, and then got cut and signed with the Texans. It, it was it was just a crazy year for me. Like I, I'm still mad I didn't rack up all those um, airline miles on my personal accounts, but. Um, <laughs> Ended up so ended up on the Texans practice squad at the end of the year. Were you enjoying it at this point, or was it just a grind? Or it was it was both. I it was I mean the NF, being an NFL football player is not a bad gig. Uh, you know the the money is obviously pretty good even for practice. I mean the practice squad guys don't make anything compared to the active roster guys. Like it's probably about a quarter of what the active ro- like minimum active roster guys make. But uh, you know when. You, you get to take school out of the football portion. The football becomes even even more enjoyable, in right. my opinion. I don't, I've never been a big school guy, um, but you know, just kind of tolerated it to because I knew I had to do well enough to play football, basically, yeah. right? Um, so when you get to just your your entire job is just focused on football, you know, it, it, it's it's a pretty fun, and also you're getting paid pretty well and and all that stuff. So and there's you know a ton of other amenities and stuff like that. I guess you call them, but you know some benefits to it um so it was it was awesome it was a little bit of a grind just you know always going somewhere new trying to assimilate into a new locker room or you know get to know new people and new offenses and new systems and new philosophies and stuff like that so it was mentally pretty taxing um but i still that was all i you know all i wanted to do still and you know in my mind it was just like the grind was not being able to stay in one place very long, right? That was probably the, the the hardest part was just living out of a suitcase and never knowing if I was gonna have a job next week, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that stuff just weighs on you. Um so that that would be what I would say was the hardest part probably is just that. Um just the lack of job security, man, it's brutal. Um and then yeah, so I, I finished the season with the Texans, and the same same deal with the Panthers, basically, right? I signed a futures deal for the next year, and I'm not joking. Literally, the exact same thing happens. They drafted the tackle in the second round, and four days later, I got cut, and I got claimed off waivers again by the Steelers, and I go back to Pittsburgh and go through a whole another training camp with them. And in my opinion, I've never been better at football in my life than I was in 2018. And I probably, I mean, I had what I thought was a great training camp with them. I thought I was going to make the team. Um, I was in the 2D playing a ton. We had some banged up guys. I was like, this, you know, this is a done deal, basically. And then uh, we had played, let's see, we played Green Bay or something in a preseason game. And we had this, a young tackle, and he was, like, complaining about his knee being sore. So he didn't practice the next day, but he played, like, eight snaps. And so, needless to say, they cut him the next day, and then they brought in a guy off the street who was uh, actually a Washington guy. He went to USC, Zach Banner. I don't know if you know him. Huge dude. He's like, at the time, he's like 6'9", 360. And he's telling me about how he lost 60 pounds and he's in the best shape of his life or whatever. Um, But basically, he comes into camp with like two weeks to go, and he's just, you know, he's just mauling people. You know what I mean? Just rolling dudes off the line of scrimmage and, and you know cut day rolls around they're like I'm, I'm sitting across the table from mike tom and he's like you know you, you didn't really do anything to get yourself cut and i got a lot of respect for you and all this stuff and if you know we can do business in the future we'll do business with you but 
we're going to go a different direction, basically. And I was like, I was just kind of like, yeah, I, you know, I get it. I'm not, not that guy. But uh, so ended up getting cut. And the frustrating thing for me was after I got cut with the Steelers, I did not get picked up by anybody for until probably the last like two weeks of the season. Um, and that was driving me crazy because I was still working my ass off and not making any money. I was basically, I was driving an Uber to like pay for my training, you know what I mean? So I wasn't just coming out of my savings, um, just trying to keep the dream alive. And I ended up getting signed by the Ravens um, like with like two weeks to go in the season. They make the playoffs, so ended up being like a three-week gig, but then they lose in the first round. And then for the first time ever, uh, they didn't re-sign me to a futures deal, the team I was with. And I didn't have a job at the end of the year. So I was just kind of like, man, uh, you know, I didn't get really any interest at all earlier in the year either. This, this, that might be the last, you know, last call I ever get, basically. Um, and that was really hard um, for me to face. And that was kind of a, I suppose, a turning point for me as well because it kind of forced me to be like, you know, face the music and be like, Hey, are you going to, are you going to hang it up? Or are we going to, you know, go even harder basically. Right. So I basically, I, I had to kind of reprioritize some things for myself. I, you know, stopped drinking for a while. I, you know, did everything I could possibly think of to maximize my athletic performance, basically. Right. Yeah. Train my ass off extra conditioning, extra mobility, all that stuff. Um, just really went at it like a maniac, basically. Um, just hoping that I was going to get another call. And then, sure enough, this, the stars aligned for the first time in my career ever. And basically, there was a a guy that was on the staff as like a, a offensive quality control analyst, right? Kind of like what I was here Um that uh, his name was, uh, shoot, I'm blanking on his name. Anyway, he was on the staff with Atlanta when I got there, and he came from NAU, so we kind of like got to know each other, big sky guys. And uh, he ended up becoming, he went from there to San Fran with Kyle Shanahan and then got hired as the offense coordinator for the Broncos. Wow. So I knew the system already that he was running, he yeah. and me. And then they also hired my line coach from Pittsburgh, Mike Munchak, who's an absolute legend. Um, and when I heard that, I was literally just like, God, I hope they call me. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, they eventually they called and they were like, Hey, you know, we want you to come do our, uh, vet mini camp, which when you hire a new head coach, you get to have a, um, an extra mini camp basically to right. like install your offense and your schemes and stuff. And we want you to basically, we want you to come out and do our vet mini camp on a trap. Right. So that was basically, you know, that was my Super Bowl, Right. Um, it was, I'd already been with the O-line coach for the previous two years, so I literally knew every drill we were going to do in practice, and I just did those drills like every day, you know what I mean, just to get in shape so I could go and, and just play when I got there. Um, and then, you know, I knew the system pretty well already, and all those guys were probably pissed at me for how hard I was going to that practice, that, those helmets-only practices. Um, but, you know, I had to go get myself a job and, and ended up getting signed off that tryout. Ended up, you know, going through the whole offseason with them. And then um, played really well, you know. Um, went through the, all the preseasons, had good games, was in the two deep the whole time. 
and ended up not well. So <laughs> was crazy is I actually so the last last day of cuts right or whatever cut day in the NFL is. It was so stressful. I hate it so much. But because you're just sitting around all day waiting to get waiting, the call you right. don't want. Yeah. Right? And every year before that, I always got in the call. And so I was just on walking around my apartment on eggshells that whole day or my hotel room or whatever. And ended up making the roster that or making it through that day anyway without getting cut. But then they, the next day, they signed an alignment off of uh, a waiver. So when you claim somebody off waivers, they have to go on your active roster. You can't sign them straight to your practice squad. So they had to cut me to make room for him because they were like, we need another center, basically. Uh, so technically made the roster only to be cut the next day and put back on practice squad. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me, basically. But our uh, starting right tackle ended up getting hurt in the first game. And then I got moved up to the active roster after that and played the rest of the year on the, on the roster. And It's crazy how much of a revolving door... That is like it's really scary. No matter who you are, if you get hurt, right? Like it's yeah. crazy. And, yeah, and this guy was like the he was like the highest paid right tackle in football at the time. Wow. Um, it was it was kind of a big deal. But it's what's crazy to me is the amount of or not the amount, of, but the element of luck or whatever you want to call it, fate, whatever you, you call it, that plays into situations like that. Like for guys like me in NFL rosters, where like. All you're praying for is just a chance, you know what I mean? And um, I ended up eventually getting one that that year. Um, basically, I was still the backup after that guy got hurt. And then week uh, week 16, I think, we're playing the Lions, and the guy, well, I was backing up both tackle spots at that point, but right tackle also, the, the other right tackle, sprains his ankle, so I had to go in second quarter. And... Um, Again, it was kind of one of the, it was so funny because I was still kind of that guy that like everybody was like, ah, man, I could tell when I got in the huddle, everybody's kind of looking at me like, ah, shit, this guy's in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I distinctly remember kind of looking at everybody and just being like, guys, I, I got this. Don't worry. Right. And, and played really well in that game. Uh, we were we were losing when I got in and I think we scored on every possession after I got in. Ended up winning, and it was so it was so crazy because it was so it was I went in, and then another guy or left guard got hurt, and so we had to put in a guy that was had been on the team for like four days. He didn't didn't really know the offense. Um, I mean, he knew it, all NFL offenses are somewhat similar, but you know we just kind of had to throw him in, right? So we had no no more O linemen left on the bench. If anybody else goes down, we're putting a tight end in or something. Um, and we ended up winning that game, and so me and this other guy who's been on the team for four days has got you know game balls after the game for just you know just showing up in a in a moment of need for the team basically. But that was probably, and I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, the proudest moment of my football career. You know, just for all those um, just man, all of the stuff leading up to it kind of felt like the culmination of a lot of stuff for me, you know, just to have that knowing I had that one moment, at least I could walk away from. Cause I'd never been in like a real, you know, regular season NFL game playing the offensive snaps. I played field goal, you know what I mean? But it's not, it's not the same. Um, so just to kind of knowing I had that, that nobody could ever take away from me was pretty awesome. You know, um, I probably could have been, 
it could have ended for me right there, and I'd been happy. You know what I mean? Um, I ended up getting to start the next week as well, and wow. and we won that game as well. I didn't play as well, but you know, I was going up against uh, Max Crosby and um, God, I forget the other guy's name, but he was pretty good too. He's an older guy, but he had some he had some stuff. So they're good players, and it was a it was a good game, and we ended up winning, which was awesome. And just just to be able to finish that year out like that put me on such a I don't know such a high, and it, it honestly gave me some confidence too. Again, you know what I mean? You, you go that long without really playing for real, and you kind of start to wonder if you can still do it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that kind of carried that in the following year. Came back with the Broncos and ended up um, making the roster again that following year. Um, and then, so I ended up, you know, didn't really play most of that year. Ended up going into a game at half. Um, again, a guy like pulled his groin or something, I had to go in. Played really well. Uh, and then we lost that one, though. But the following week, I was supposed to start again against, I think, the Raiders, weirdly enough. Uh, and we're going out to practice, and my shoulder just absolutely crapped out on me. It was the weirdest thing. Um, like, it was nothing really happened. It was just like I all of a sudden just couldn't lift my arm anymore, basically. Just, like, lost all strength, and it was... Anyway, had a shoulder injury. Um, so the guy behind me goes in and plays. He's a young guy, um, talented guy. Though I always kind of knew he was going to be a good player. And he, he balled, right, which... It's never a good thing for, for uh, right. you know, when your backup comes in and plays really well. So I ended up getting cut uh, a couple weeks after that, I think. Um, I was still injured, to be honest with you. Uh, but they didn't really, I don't know, they, they cut me anyway. Um, and this is the middle of COVID, too. This is the COVID season. It's 2020. And so I get cut. <laughs> I get cut. Uh, what's even funnier is I got cut and I was supposed to have it was like right before Thanksgiving I was supposed to have um, my wife's family was going to fly out because she, we, you know, she was pregnant already and I was also um, going to propose to her same same time right with her family's there as well uh, she didn't know that second part she thought we were just going to tell them we were having a baby right um, but I got cut and then that following like Monday or Tuesday rolls around, I found out I got claimed off of waivers by the Ravens. Like I'm literally, I'm not shitting you, walking out of the the jewelry store with the engagement ring, and my phone rings and it's my agent. He said, "Hey, yeah, the Ravens just claimed you off of waivers. Uh, I need you to be at the airport in three hours." <laughs> and so I uh, go home and you know wake my girlfriend up, well and then girlfriend up from her nap, <laughs> like, "Hey, you know." Will you marry me? Basically, <laughs> still rubbing sleep out of her eyes, and I, you know, proposed it to her. Uh, <laughs> wow! And then also, it needs you to drive me to the airport because I just got claimed <laughs> off of waivers. Uh, packed a bag and, and flew out to Baltimore. I didn't even think I was going to pass the physical because my shoulder was so jacked up. Yeah. But Baltimore's in the middle of like a massive COVID outbreak as well, so they've got they need people. They, yeah, they didn't. They couldn't even have a practice. They had so many dudes on the COVID list, basically. So they were just looking for some warm bodies, I think. Uh, so they're you know I passed the physical, but then COVID kept getting worse, and because of the protocols, we didn't even go into the building for probably the first 
week I was there. Uh, you know, we were just doing virtual meetings, and I would go. I was still just technically supposed to be quarantining, I think, anyway. But I would go like run on a high school field or whatever at night, um, just to you know, so I wasn't a total slob by the time I got out there. Yeah. Um, and then we came back. This was it was such a weird thing. It was man. They had to like reschedule our game to like a Tuesday one time. It was this was such a weird thing, uh, but basically, anyway, we started practicing again. But I was a not healthy and probably looked like crap in practice, so I got cut a little bit, like right probably right before the end of the season from them as well. Um, and then at that point, I you know had the shoulder. I knew I was going to have surgery, and my son was on the way. And uh, I also. I've also got pretty bad arthritis in my knee at this point in my career. Like I, I know I'm kind of getting towards the end of you know being able to do it physically, um, and I kind of just made the decision that I was just ready to be done, just based off of um, just really honestly my body kind of falling apart. You know, between the shoulder and the knee, it was just it was a lot, and having my son on the way, and I was just like, man. I'd really like to be able to, you know, play catch with my kids someday. So this feels like probably a good time to kind of call it. Um, sometimes I, I still wonder if that was the right decision. You know what I mean? But you know, I, I'm 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 still happy with where I'm at right now, and you know, I I, I love my uh, love where I'm at in life right now. You know what I mean? So it, it all kind of worked out. Yeah. I, I do still miss playing football though. You know, so. And you kind of wonder, could I have, could I have strapped it up for one more year? But I don't know, man. I would have been starting from square one on a brand new team. It was just a lot. Yeah, that that sounds like a lot. That whole NFL journey <laughs> it was, is pretty it crazy, was, man. It was. Um, I had a pretty. I gotta imagine unique experience, uh, you know. But and it was never. It was never easy. But yeah. I still sign up to do it all over again tomorrow. Yeah, you know I mean, if I could. So. It's just crazy how many things are only influenced by you, not fully controlled. It's so crazy, yeah, right, to, to think about that even as you're saying all this. Like, what a gift that you got that opportunity with the Broncos. And yeah. I remember seeing that video on Twitter, and I'm like, wow, game ball. Like, that's, that's a really, really cool honor. Yeah, and yeah, I'm sure it meant more to me than it would have a lot of people. You know what I mean? Yeah, because of the journey that, like, now it makes sense, right? You're right. saying all this stuff, and even... Like you said, that decision point where you really made the choice to put your heart and everything into it, and yeah. then it it comes to fruition, which is probably the best feeling ever, right? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It was. Yeah. And that kind of comes into that. You know, whether you want to call it, you know, preparation meets opportunity, yeah. or, or or fate, whatever you believe in. But that's that's what it felt like. Kind of. You know, it was a conscious decision by me to level up kind of where I was at and but I still also needed the the proverbial stars to align for me also so it's kind of both right yeah um, which is which is crazy to think about um just how and there's so many different points in you know I'm sure you feel the same way about your career too that where things can go one way or the other and they just happen to go one way right yeah really interesting as you're saying this I'm interested to hear from you because I've never really asked anyone this question. What's the difference between a training camp in the NFL compared to college? What would you say? Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, college training camp is a beast. Let's not get, let's, let's not, you know, you know, it's, 
it's a dark time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> those days are long and hard. Um, the difference, I would say, is just day to day. The intensity is there. Like for like, whether it's a, a walkthrough or or practice or whatever, you can't have bad days in in an NFL training camp unless you're like unless you're a, a dude, a guy, unless you are. You know, one of the stars on the team, you're the quarterback, you're, you know, uh, I can't even think of a good example because I would say Antonio Brown, but that dude killed people in practice. He was an absolute maniac. Yeah. Um, you just, like in college, you know, you ha- you have a couple bad practices and your scholarship's not going anywhere. You know what I mean? If you've got to, if you have a bad couple practices in training camp, you might not have a job tomorrow. And, and I think everybody knows that. And on top of that, there's a substantial amount of money, and, and people got families to feed. On top of it, so uh, you, that's a, that's something we actually used to say is is you know those guys with uh, those guys with kids are going to be a little bit different at training camp because they got families to feed, stuff like that. So it's that would I say it would be what I say is the biggest difference is just there's never a there's never a drop off in the intensity. You got to show up every day and be on point. Otherwise, somebody's going to make you look bad. Yeah. So, what's the duration like compared to a college camp, though? Is it like a month as well? Yeah, it's it's pretty similar timeline wise. Um, and practicing every day, like yeah, it it probably goes maybe a week longer, just because we start a little earlier and the NFL season starts a week later. But yeah. it, other than that, like timeline wise, it's very similar. Like, you know, you're going to have probably a 13 hour day. You know, you're looking at 12, 13 hours at least between, you know, just meals and meetings and walkthroughs and practice and more film and all that stuff. Weights and, you know, mixed in there as well. Um, it, it structure wise, from a schedule standpoint, it's not that different from a college, you know, even down to the practice schedules. They're still going to be, you know, two and a half hour practice, roughly, somewhere around there. But yeah, the difference is definitely just, I mean, the intensity, like I said, and then on top of that, it's everybody there is so much um, more refined with everything, right? The 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 technique, the ability to process information quickly and know what you need to do. Uh, that the level of competition is obviously, you know way up here right it's that's when people talk about like the difference in the the speed of the game between college and nfl that would be what i think is the biggest like contributing factor to that is is not necessarily the difference in the athletes right it's just the difference in their five years further along than when they started in college you know what i mean they everybody's done they've got tens of thousands of reps at doing this and yeah. they, they know what they're doing. So yeah, that's, I mean, sure. You got probably more athletes all over the place than most college teams. Right. But the, the top end guys are still, I mean, I don't know. They're not that much freakier athletically than they were in college. Yeah. Right? They're just, they're just better. Wow. That's really interesting for you to say that you, you mentioned Antonio Brown. This is going to be one of my questions mm-hmm. was you've had a long career college NFL, mm-hmm. you know, when you when you look back on it, who are some of the? Let's start with some of your your favorite teammates. That's going to be tough, right? Because there's so many to choose from. Yeah. But who who would be some of your favorite teammates? Um, man, that is tough. 
I mean, all right. So, well, there's a little bit of, there's the guys that I would like hang out with, right? Because they were more um, the guys I was running with on like the twos and threes, a line, stuff like that, right? Uh, practice squad guys that, that most people aren't really going to know. But I think about guys like um, um, like maybe like a Ramon Foster that played for the Steelers. He was like a a ten year vet lineman that was like a he was an undrafted guy that just kind of made his way and, and made himself a really nice career in the NFL. And I had a ton of respect for, and was always like a, a really you know he was a big leader in that locker room and always just a just a pleasure to be around. You know. Um, always cracking jokes and you know really personable guy and bringing energy out to practice and all of this stuff and you just you know keeping the guys kind of interacting and stuff like that um him and, and, and Alejandro Villanueva are both you know kind of similar that way I would say that both of them were alignment for Pittsburgh yeah um and Alejandro's one of the most interesting people I've ever met um he's a I don't know if you know a ton about him but no. he's like He's like he's like six eight, like you know he was three twenty back then. I don't know what he's looking at now, but like he like I looked up at him basically. Wow. <laughs> like he made me feel small, which is not you know normal, but he's also he was born in Spain. You know, grew up mostly in the U.S. Ended up being like an army ranger, and you know going and uh, fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan, I believe, and. Just from like this, his those experiences, he had all those experiences before he ended up in the NFL. And then when he got to the NFL, he started as a D lineman with the Eagles, <laughs> and then ended up as a you know a starting left tackle for the Pittsburgh. Wow! Stage, right. It just from all of those things, he's, he just kind of had a very unique perspective, very um, worldly perspective, and was just would also talk your ear off about anything. And was just a, you know a very you know interesting guy to talk to, and just had a lot of you know. You know, just interesting things to say, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so those are, those are two guys that would jump out at me, I suppose. Um, yeah, how about maybe, like, some of the the most elite, you know, yeah. athletes or just, I would say, professionals that you're around? Because not best players, but, I mean, like you said, like some of these guys, like Antonio Brown, I'm sure he, and we saw him in his elite phase, but, like, oh, yeah, absolutely. What, about, what about people, though, that really stand out, like, as just like you, you, a dude all around. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I tell people the best football player I've ever played football against is Von Miller. Was, that dude was just different. Um, Antonio Brown is definitely in that category. Uh, Julio Jones was an absolute specimen, you know. Right, you would have came in right yeah. around some of those prime years, right? right? He, like, yeah, he. I mean, he's still probably. I don't know, six, seven, eight years in one of my rookie year, something like that. But just watching a human that big also run that fast is insane. Like, and he would like just run by dudes that were half his size. Like, we clocked like a like a flying forty one time for him at like three nine, <laughs> something like that. Jeez. Uh, and he was like, he was massive. Like, I couldn't get over it. Like, he he would weigh in every day at like two twenty five. <laughs> Just a huge dude. Um, then I went, let's see, uh, there was um, Odell Beckham when I got to the Giants was, like, he was, that was before all of his injuries, and he just had, like, he, he would make other NFL receivers look so slow. 
Like we would just do like conditioning and stuff, and he just on a couple of reps decided he was going to run as hard as he could, and we'd run like you know goal line to goal line down and back, and he would beat dudes by like fifty yards. <laughs> like it was, it's like he just had a different gear. He was just a different type of explosive athlete. Like he's probably one of the most explosive dudes I've ever seen. Um, Antonio Brown was an absolute dog. He was just by in every every sense of the word just like he would show up to practice and practice like an absolute maniac even though he's one of the best receivers in the nfl already and be just talking the most shit to all of the dbs while he's doing it like celebrating like it's a game when he scores a touchdown like he like he was every day at practice so like his intensity was so high it was crazy that's crazy um it was like I've been on some teams with some really good receivers, obviously. Like, we just went through a few of them. He's, to me, probably the his peak was the best I've seen in person. But I'm probably a little biased. Um, I had a lot of, like, up close and personal, you know, I was on the sideline for a lot of the Steelers games where I, I think he just made so many incredible catches, like, right in front of me that I was like, that was unbelievable. You know what I mean? Like, I... The dude was incredible. Like even in practice, he would just make ridiculous catches every other day. Like the stuff I'd never seen before. It was it was insane. Um, let's see. And honestly, there were so many dudes on that Steelers team, especially on defense. Ryan Shazier was an absolute animal. Like that dude was the fastest linebacker I've ever seen. Um, you had guy like Cam Hayward would just manhandle me most days. God, I hated Cam. <laughs> um, honestly, uh, so some of the alignment too. Um, Marquise Pouncey was an absolute dog. Like, as much as I want to say hype up Antonio Brown's practice intensity, Marquise Pouncey was an absolute motherfucker if you had to deal with him in practice. Like, so we would do individual drills every day where you had a, like a partner, right? And basically your partner, when you're not doing the drill, he's the defender, right? And he's out there, you know, in practice with our backup center and just he's giving him a look on defense and just ragdolling him. You know what I mean? Like throwing him on the ground for like no reason just because he like just to, I guess, push him, make him better. But like like he would just go all out. And like we'd be doing pre-practice walkthrough and I'd, loop around like I was a defensive end on a on a TE stunt and this dude would punch me so hard in the chest just because that was like he was going full speed like and he's throwing his hands even in a walkthrough in year 10 like it was crazy uh, like I would come in from walkthroughs and like have bruises on my chest like it was insane wow uh, David DeCastro was a really good guard for us he was unbelievable when I was there just um uh, you know, he had incredible feet and balance and the ability to just play in weird positions and, and still block guys. I didn't really get it, but he was really, really good. Um, and I'm trying to, there's, uh, when I play for, you play for that many teams, there's about a million, there's right. dudes on every team. And that's I mean? why even when you were saying that, I was like, what a cool experience that you get right. to go see all these different elite players. Right. Like, I mean, shit, Cam Newton, when I was at the Panthers, uh, first day like just walking up to him and shaking his hand it's like this dude is the same size as me and plays quarterback like like he's like i'm looking like he's eye to eye with me right now and he's 250 pounds and runs like a four or five like this dude's different um 
trying to think who else. Man, I mean, we already talked about Von Miller was an absolute freak. I then this was before he tore his ACL. I thought Cortland Sutton was really, really talented as well. Um, just a big, again, a, kind of, kind of in the mold of Julio Jones. Just a huge dude. He's like six three, you know, two hundred twenty pounds, and and could run and jump, and and would just make ridiculous catches over dudes and stuff like that. Um, man, there's a there's so much talent in the NFL. It's crazy. What was it like when you play against other Eastern dudes in the NFL? Like, would you go say what's up to them after the game? Or like- yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't. I didn't get too many opportunities like that, unfortunately. But I do remember we did like some joint practices with the 49ers when when Kendrick was there, and I remember saying what's up to him. Um, uh, man, the one time we played, we played the Rams, but Coop was not playing. I don't know, he might have been hurt at the time, and then Aaron Neary was on the team too, but he ended up breaking his ankle in the game, so I need to say what's up to him. Uh, I saw I did say what's up to Simba. He was on the team still then. That's so cool. Um, That's crazy. I didn't know that three guys were. Yeah, it was. I think that was 20, I can't remember, 2019 or 2020, one yeah. of the two. Uh, but, yeah, all three of them were on that team at one point. I think even... Oh, did yeah. Did get a workout with them yeah, too? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Kettner, yeah, it was yeah. right around that time. Yeah. So, yeah, that was right then. Um, but I think that's about it as far as games where I played against another Eastern guy. As far as I can remember. But, right. If you could give yourself advice going back to the beginning of your journey, what would it be? Uh, I mean, go, if we're going, I mean, honestly, it would just be what the thing I think the most about is to have just taken more time to invest in yourself, right? Um, mainly what I think about it is like, how much better could I have been if I, you know, had a, you know, somebody like a trainer or something, not, you know, somebody that knew what they were doing in high school that could have helped me with workouts or, um, you know, uh, even even in college, you know, there's so much stuff now where you can, Learn. You can learn so much more now, so much easier. Um, that I didn't really have access to that stuff back then. So just having somebody kind of in my corner that had my best interest in mind, that could, you know, push me to be better physically. You know what I mean? Um, just with training and nutrition, and also just taking the time to to do it as well. I you know I didn't take care of my body until it was too late you know, with like mobility and stuff like that and soft tissue work, stuff like that. It was just too little, too late. So really just honing in on that side of things, like from an athletic standpoint, um, that would be the main focus. And then I also just think about, you you always feel like you have so much more time than you do. Just the the lack of urgency probably on my part um, to really stay in the moment stay you know present and and chasing it every day yeah wow that's some really real advice like like you're saying that presence it's so hard to have for a lot of guys it's it's the hardest thing to do in in life i think honestly it's so easy to get caught up in you know what just happened or or worrying about what's going to happen right yeah that that you 
forget that the only thing that you can take care of is what's in front of you right now, realistically. I mean, some things you can plan ahead for, but at the end of the day, if you're just taking care of business every day, like you should be, then you don't really have to worry about what's coming down the pipe, right? That's a really good point. It's funny you say that. I think a lot of people, you know, even they talk to me and it, time does fly. It's pretty crazy, right? It seemed like just yesterday that I saw you walking around, you know, and like that's right. like years ago now for right. the first time. And, um, you know, like I always look at them though and I'm like, it does move fast, but like I knew this moment would come and every second I spend is intentional towards my goal. So when it, the moment comes, it's like, I'm here. And it's, it's not perfect, right? But like, isn't that a crazy theory though, that like if you really do begin with the end in mind and move with every step intentionally, be present like you're saying, mm -hmm. when the next moment comes, it's not a stressful thing, right? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think a lot of that is just knowing that there's not really anything else you could have done, right? Um, when you feel unprepared, that's the first thing I always think of is like, gosh, you know, should have done more, the, you know, could have done this. Uh, and you just, that, that uncertainty is what gives me anxiety in those moments. Mm. Uh, the times in my life where I knew I was just, you know, maxing everything out, just pushing myself as far as I could. When those those big moments come, it's it's kind of like a, you know, let the chips fall where they may kind of thing. Yeah, you, know, you already you know you're gonna push them in the middle. Let's let's see what happens. Um, so that's kind of what gives me peace of mind in those moments. Is just like there's there's nothing else you could have done. So let's just see what happens. Kind of yeah. Thing. When you look back at your career and even non football. Is there a favorite failure that you have of yours that set you up for success? You already kind of named a few of them, but is there something that sticks out as, you know, something that was a failure or like an apparent failure that set you up for success? Hmm, that's a really interesting question. I don't, hadn't really thought about it like that. Um, it probably is. It probably is that. Um, I guess, I, God, it's hard to characterize it as a failure because, yeah, I guess it would be something in that, like, that 2018 year that I was telling you about where, because that was kind of where things flipped for me. It was like, maybe it was probably, man, this is a really hard question. Um, yeah, because, like, so I would say, like, maybe that not making you know, not making it with the Steelers at training camp, but in my mind, man, I, I laid everything out there that I had and just, I guess you could call that a perceived failure, right? Where, you know, getting cut after that, um, just coming up short. But that was a really, oh man, I don't even know how to answer this question, to be honest with you. And it's an interesting way of looking at things, right? But at the end of the day, all these these quote unquote failures, a lot of them are for us, right? Because it makes prepare harder. Like it shifted your whole career, right? That moment, right? But a lot of people don't view it that way because they don't learn from it, or they just don't ever have that growth mindset of that perspective that challenge creates who you are today, right? Yeah, and that's probably yeah, that's a, a good way to say it. It's it was it was 
man, it feeling like you gave everything you had and still being told like, you know, not good enough. Sorry. Right. That was kind of where things flipped for me. And it was just, uh, at a certain point you have to be just, I'm, I'm, I've always believed in being a good football player. You have to kind of simultaneously be incredibly self-critical and incredibly self-confident. Right. That's which wow. Is, that's profound. Right. I, yeah. I was, I, and I always struggled more with the incredibly self-confident part, the incredibly self-critical part. I was pretty good at. Um, but at a certain point, you got to be kind of brutally honest with yourself and just say, "Hey, you know, this isn't working. What do you like? We got to do something different." And and you kind of just got to figure out what that's going to be, what the best course of action is, and how you know how to go about it. Um, and that was kind of, I guess, what led me down that path. Part of it was also, you know, feeling like I'd done everything I could, and then also getting cut and sitting at home and just thinking about it and thinking about it. And meanwhile, I'm still chasing it every day and driving Uber on the weekends and picking up drunk people from the bars and driving them home just so I could afford to pay for training and and just having that time to really like sit with yourself and, and kind of come to that reality that was I, I think what probably pushed me to that mindset right of you know you got to do something different or you're not going to be doing this next year so it's kind of a, a put up or shut up moment a little bit, and that's that's probably where it, I would say that's probably the 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 most um, influential failure. Wow, wow, that was that was an all timer right there though. <laughs> the balance of self critical and ultimate self confidence that is that's crazy. Like because it's so true, right? Because you see, it's so easily tipped each way, yeah. and. Even like you're saying, I can relate a lot to you. It's For me, it's really easy to be self-critical, right. which almost is a blessing because you always lean towards the truth, right? You see some of these guys that lean towards delusion. It can be pretty right. dangerous. Yeah. That's, so, yeah. So I'm a little jealous of sometimes. <laughs> right. It's funny. I was talking to this guy, Brent, the guy that was at the camp, yeah. the CrossFitter, and mm-hmm. we, we have talked to this all the time because he can understand how I think. I'm not a person where you just... And you you can probably relate where it's there's people talking shit in the crowd and they're like oh you don't hear it just like just don't hear it it's like yeah. no I hear it like yeah. no like I'm not, I can't just like be like an idiot and be like right. oh no like I literally don't hear it no like I hear it but what are you gonna do with that then right and it's the exact same thing like are you truly not confident or are you are you not prepared like are you not like mm-hmm. it, it it's you you either are really good at that skill or you're not. So maybe it's like just the fact that you haven't practiced it enough that you're not confident, right? right? Just kind of a weird way of looking at things. But I mean, that's just like that's the way that I think, right? It's analytical and it's just like that's the truth of it. But other people, like you're saying, it it's they can just <laughs> see it for not what it yeah, is. It's yeah, it's incredible. Like, and it's honestly, it can be a blessing. It can be a curse. Some, you know, sometimes it's both, I suppose, but you, you see guys that are examples of, I've seen guys that are examples of both, not just myself that are, yeah. um, you know, some guys can't get out of their own way because they are thinking so much that they play slow or timid. And then there's other guys that are so supremely self-confident. They play so recklessly that they, you, don't do their job or whatever it is that gets them gets them in trouble basically or they're not you know they're they're not focusing on the right things they're not reading their keys they're just chasing the ball or whatever you want to yeah. call it but 
I've seen a lot of. I feel like I've seen a lot of examples of different people that fall into those two categories. Yeah. Okay, so last couple questions here. If nothing of your legacy was left behind, and you know yourself, your accomplishments, like nothing, like Jake Rogers was not a person, but you could leave behind to your family, your kids, three things, whether they're lessons, uh, different sort of theories, ways about going about life, nothing else, but through those three things, what would those three things be? Oh, man. So, you want me to come up with three of them? Yeah, you can, and this is, it's, a, it's a big one. Yeah. Um, Just I, whatever's on your heart, right? Whatever comes right. to you. And I, I you know, have a two-and-a-half-year-old, so I think of what I would, if, you know, if I, if I died tomorrow, you know, what would I want my son to not necessarily take from me but carry, carry with him? Yeah, right? exactly. Um, I, you know, to me, one of the biggest things would be that it's inevitable that at some point you're going to get your ass kicked and life is going to be not going your way or it's going to be downright, you know, unbearable and hard sometimes. But, you know, and I think I actually said this at the training camp, uh, or not the training camp, but the make it happen camp, um, and this is one that's just stuck with me forever. Is just when you're going through hell, you just keep going, man. Um, hard times don't last forever. Hard people do. That's another one, another version of the same thing, right? Um, it's inevitable. Adversity hits everybody. It's just what you're prepared to do with it at the time you know, mm-hmm. and how you handle it. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. Other than that, um, man, just... Be, you know, be good to people. Just take care of the people that take care of you. Um, you know, and beyond that, I mean, just if you put if you put good out there, it's going to come back to you. You know, just treat people with respect. And even the people that maybe don't deserve it, you can still give it to them anyway. You know, um, those are two of the big ones. And for a third one... Um, yeah, uh, I think what we said earlier would be good is, um, don't let the the past and the future just distract you from right now and the present and, and, and being focused on what's right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Man, I just want to acknowledge you and, and thank you for everything that you've, you've taught me and, and really just for who you are as a person, like. From the day that I first saw you walk through that hall, man, and I was like kind of starstruck. I'm like, what is going on? We got this NFL legend walking around. But seriously, man, you've always been super open. You're open to me and Trey. And even when you came to the camp, when you when you shared your story, there's still kids that come and talk to me about it. So it's awesome what you're doing and what you continue to do. So I appreciate you making the time even today. Um, with that being said, man, the name of the podcast is Make It Happen Podcast. Final question. What does Make It Happen mean to you? Uh, man, it means, to me, that means that you're not, rarely are you going to get handed things in life. You, you got you to gotta work for everything you, you want. And if you really want something, you do, you got to go get it. You know what I mean? You got you to gotta go seek it out 
in whatever form that takes and, and pursue it because nothing is going to just show up on your doorstep for you. Please, please share this with someone that you deeply care about that you know needs to hear this. I hope you enjoyed this and had incredible takeaways. Keep making it happen in your life. If you don't believe in you, then I believe in you. Go do it. Achieve your dreams. Go after it, just like Jake Rogers did. Make it happen. Out.